Hey, this is Sam Houston, and you're listening to Wrestling Nostalgia. This is Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Greetings, wrestling fans, and welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am your host, Dave Dynasty. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode. We got a really, really, really fun episode. I know I say that every time, but man, this was really, really good. Uh, we have Sam Houston on the show today. I have a great interview with him. We talk everything. We talk about his career. Uh, we talk about his family. We talk about Dark Side of the Ring and everything associated with that. Uh, we talk about his time in prison. Sam was uh, no holds barred. He he would discuss anything. He was very candid, very honest, and very fun to talk to. And uh, we plan to have him back on the show again in the future and dive in a little deeper on a few topics. Uh, but we got a great interview today with him. Uh, I really hope you enjoy that. Uh, hey, just remember, whatever podcast platform you're currently listening on, if that is your favorite, please make sure you subscribe to us and share those episodes when they come out. That is uh, the best way for us to network and grow. We appreciate your support. Uh, make sure you follow me on social media. I'm on X, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. Uh, just look up at The Dave Dynasty uh, on most of those. You can find me. Uh, X is, is, is my primary tool uh, that I use on there. I post lots of things, not just not just necessarily the podcast links or whatever else. I post a lot of history. A lot of cards, a lot of pictures, dates, whatever it might be. Uh, lots of cool stuff on there. So follow me, and hopefully you'll enjoy that. Uh, the best way that you can support this show, though, is if you go buy a t-shirt. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Dynasty. Buy a shirt there. The best way to support the show is that. We have several shirts to choose from, so go peruse and find one for yourself. Now, before we dive into the interview, I did want to say uh, it looks like uh, coming up, on March 30th, uh, I may be attending a wrestling show in Clayton, North Carolina. It is uh, the 12th annual Ivan Koloff Memorial Tag Team Tur- Tournament, excuse me, uh, hosted by the NCWA. Uh, this looks to be a great, great, great show. Uh, lots of cool people are going to be on it. Some legends are going to be on it, including uh, the aforementioned Sam Houston. He's going to be at the show. Uh, along with Ricky Morton, uh, The Barbarian, Shane Douglas, Tatanka, uh, maybe uh, it looks like Bushwhacker Luke's going to be there. And of course, some local talent is going to be on uh, there as well. Uh, so go check them out. I'm going to be uh, sharing some of that stuff on my social media. This is a really cool show. Uh, I look forward to attending and seeing some independent wrestling in my area. I'm a big supporter, a big fan, excuse me, of Ivan Koloff. So anything that is done in his memory uh, is, is, is close to my heart. Uh, but again, this looks like a very fun show. If you're in the area, please attend and check them out uh, and share these posts about this event. Let's help let's help them have a big event and draw really good uh, in memory of Uncle Ivan. So, all right. Well, then I think I think that's it. that's all the news we've got for now. All the all the new stuff to cover. You know, I don't go into a lot of a lot of eh, the current product. Just not my thing. It's not why. Uh, that's not the reason. You know that this podcast is called Wrestling Nostalgia. There's a reason for that nostalgia word in there. We like to talk about the past. We like to talk about history. We like to talk about some of the stuff that I enjoyed in the past and that I find fun. We, we do touch on current stuff every now and then when it's something that really tickles my fancy, so to speak. But uh, nothing this week. But uh, right up the vein of nostalgia and, and fun is that interview I got with Sam Houston. It's coming up in a moment. So hang in there and stick around. If you like horror movies, be sure to check out Dave Dynasty and Ike Isaacs on the Listen to Their Screams Horror Podcast. It is available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Listen to Screams. That is Listen, the number two, and Screams. 
All right, and welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. I'm joined now by a very special guest, Sam Houston. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you coming on here and giving me some time. Uh, well, thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity to come on here and say hey to my fans and stuff. You know, they've always been real close to me. We've always had a special connection, or I have, with the fans. They were always, I, I don't know, it's kind of like they always helped me, and I always, you know, I was there for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's part of professional wrestling, isn't it? Yeah, I and guess I, so. <laughs> well, let's get started. As everyone knows, you come from a wrestling family. So what, what are some of your earliest uh, memories of wrestling? I assume those you know would go to your dad. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, being scared to death of guys like the Assassins and the Skinheads and everything, you know, because they were busting my dad up every night. Yeah. You know, so I was scared to death of, you know... Uh, but, you know, my dad always overcame and stuff. The Kentuckians always got, you know, <laughs> got the big thing at the end. So, you know, my dad was my superhero, too. You know, um, when, you know, uh, I I don't know. It, it was just really rough because we, we, we weren't clued in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So did you did you always think, hey, I, I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to do this, too. Well, yeah, um, from the time that I was, I, I guess, uh, oh gosh, uh, about five years old or so, I, you know, I knew I wanted to be up in there. And uh, and then when I was in second grade, I went to a, a wrestling camp. Uh, this high school coach in Baton Rouge, Coach Murphy, he uh, was the wrestling coach at uh, Catholic High School. He did a summer camp two-week-long summer camp, and I, and I was in second grade, and I, I joined in and got to start working out with them. Well, what was really cool for me was, you know, my dad was the booker. Yeah. Uh, uh, the wrestling camp was on, you know, a Saturday morning. Well, on those Saturday mornings, they didn't have TV tapings. The, the boys who were amateur wrestlers, like Jim Shields and Herb Calvert, Mark Totten, and these guys, Danny Hodge, Dennis Stamp, all these guys came to watch, you know, nice. to watch amateur wrestling. Yeah. So that Coach Murphy let me start working out with the high school boys. Yeah. You know, because who, who's going to be able to if I if I got friends like that, who's <laughs> going to be able who's going to be able to teach those high school wrestlers? better you know if one of my friends comes down a, a guy that teaches english and is a coach for you know for the wrestling team or uh you know somebody that's an aau champion you know <laughs> yeah NAA, whatever uh you know so i don't know it worked out for me yeah and then you you trained with your dad a little bit but then you went on to florida and and you got trained you know by somebody dusty uh Rhodes and i think magnum ta a little bit and stuff how, how did you end up going to florida and starting there. Well, okay. All my life, you know, I was geared to be a wrestler. I had my tonsils taken out when I was 17. And uh, I died on the table. Uh, it was a horrible thing. I died on the table uh, for two minutes. Uh, they had nicked my fornix during the tonsillectomy. Yeah. And I expired. Well, they got me back. Uh, I was, oh, it, was, it was a whole ordeal. It would take yeah. two hours to tell you just about it. <laughs> but I had out-of-body experiences the whole nine yards. I didn't eat food from April the 1st that year till August the 13th. Man. I dropped from 230 pounds down to 128 pounds. 
So uh, anyway, I got out of the hospital and, uh, you know, I started getting, trying to get my weight back up because I was at that age. I wanted to break in. And my dad told me, he uh, he told me, he said, I already lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. He said, this business is not for you. So I ran away from home and Dusty got me my, my start. Uh, right. He started me out down in Florida. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, maybe it'll surprise the people, but Sam Houston's not your birth name. Did no, I? <laughs> no, my, name, my birth name was Michael Smith. Yeah. You know, a... uh, but I didn't want, okay. At that time in the wrestling business, a lot of things were going on. You know, uh, when, uh, when Jake first started wrestling, he started wrestling under Jake Smith Jr. Yep. Well, you know, guys, I guess took liberties or whatever, cause maybe dad had been a little rough with them too, you know? Yeah. Can't get even with the Giants, so get even with his kid. Hurt him more. And uh, so Jake got hurt a couple of times and, and, and stuff. Well, when I broke in, when I went down to Florida, I went and, and uh, had a meeting in the office with Dusty. And George Weingroff had already uh, got me in the ring and tried to stretch. Well, he stretched me the first time, and I came back for it, and I, you know, because I was going to do this. And uh, the second time he, he couldn't stretch me and uh, and he went and told my dad he's ready. And that's when my dad told me, no, you're not going to do it. Well, Dusty knew that I had already gone through George Weingroff. So uh, Dusty and, and JJ was the one I just found out uh, about a year ago that JJ was the assistant booker. And I was at the shows with my bag every night and the whole nine yards. And, and JJ went up to me and said, hey, give the kid a shot at least. And Dusty, because my dad had, Dusty was getting ready to retire in 1969. And he was on his way back to uh, Austin, Texas. He stopped at the Sportatorium. He was going to wrestle my dad and uh, put my dad over and go and be a plumber. And my dad got him in the ring of the Sportatorium that night. He felt the electricity. He felt the heat. And my dad put him over in the middle of the ring. And when he come back, Fritz Fritz told him he thought you know he's going to get a butt chewed out. <laughs> and Fritz told him he said you did the the right thing. That man's money. And so uh, Dusty credited my dad as to giving him his big break. So Dusty was sort of returning me the fa returning yeah. the favor through me, you know, because he's a you know, I guess uh, oh gosh, there's a lot of there was a lot of sentiment to Dusty. Yeah. So did Dusty give you the name Sam Houston? Yeah, he goes, your name is going to be Michael Sam Houston, baby. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like and a dusty you name. You're going to ride across the sky on the edge of a lightning bolt. <laughs> oh, well, in 85, you moved to Mid-Atlantic, where you're probably most known for. And uh, Well, I assume... actually, I got there in 84. Okay. Wait, was it and Dusty that brought before... you in there? Uh huh? Was it Dusty that brought you into, brought you over to Mid-Atlantic? No, Dusty sent me to Mid-Atlantic. Oh, so he was still in Florida. Yeah, he was still in Florida. It, it's an interesting story. Okay, I learned this business from the office side out. Yeah. Kind of, you know, because I grew up in the business. Yeah, right. So, um, and and let's see, I'd, I'd been working in Florida for three months and, and getting getting to work six and seven nights a week, uh, about nine, ten times a week, you know. And so I was really learning and traveling with the boys and pulling ribs and the whole nine yards. Well, Dusty sent me 
to the Carolinas, uh, you know, because he, he, he got to change faces down in Florida. So he sent me to the Carolinas, but he was under, he was going through negotiations, you know, with Crockett over the Starcades and the, you know, these things. Dusty was a big money ball player. Mm-hmm. And he was in, in because uh, at the time, you had five or six bookers in the Carolinas all trying to, you know, yeah. uh, you had a head booker and then one guy had this state, one guy had this state, one guy, had, you know, and it was all kind of, I don't know, it was kind of hard the way it was run together, put together, couldn't keep storylines and there was always squabbling over talent. Of course, we were running three, three towns a night. Right. You know, so Dusty come in and uh, he started with uh, negotiations with Crockett. So whenever... I was only working for Crockett about one or two days a week, you know, and we were really starving our, starving our butts off. But when Dusty would fly in, I'd pick him up at the airport. We'd take the office Buick because it was newer than mine. <laughs> we'd take that and we, I, I, you know, drive him around the territory, we'd drive around to the shots and, and uh, we'd talk about what was going on. And uh, so anyway, uh <laughs> He signed the contract and and came on up and brought everybody else up. And then it's kind of like stuff started happening with me. I guess the people really got behind me. Dusty took me on an interview after I got 27 stitches in my head. And the next week, that that week, the the box office was uh, $6,000 in Fayetteville, uh, North Carolina. They brought me back the next week after that. And uh, uh, I think I was in Dusty's corner. I, I don't know. It might have been a six-man with me, Dusty, and Magnum against uh, uh, Arnoli and Tully. But we went from uh, 6000 to over eighteen grand. Yeah. I remember pulling up to the building, <laughs> the building Dusty. Dusty said, baby, if the, if, he goes, if the house ain't picked up, your days of the main event is over. <laughs> well, let me... Tripled. Yeah, I mean, something must have been done right, because you had to run with a Mid-Atlantic title. And uh, so, you know, things must have been clicking and everything. What was it like? That, I mean, that's a – when you look back in the history of wrestling, that's a very prestigious title. I mean, I, I understand, right? Oh, it's it's a work. It's a gimmick. Work. But still, to be to be put in that spot, is, is it's got to be an honor. Oh, it was the greatest, you know. Um, you know, I, I mean, anytime an organization or somebody wants to put – you know, the strap, they're saying you're the best. They want you to represent that company. Yep. You know, and that's a, that's an awesome deal, especially when, a matter of fact, oh, and this is the greatest thing in the world. My uh, my wife, as gifts, has been getting me replicas of the oh. titles I've won. Yeah. You know, so I've got four of them right now, and the Mid-Atlantic one was the first one that came. So it you know, and there's always there's always going to be that was Flair's title. Yeah, right. You know that was, and it's always going to be it's always going to be I guess recognized as one held by you know but guys like Steamboat, Flair, and you know Valentine. Yep. So it's a pretty cool to Wahoo. Yep. You know, pretty cool deal, pretty cool line to be put up with. You know, put up in. Yeah, yeah, and around this time you you, you married Baby Doll, and you two you guys have two daughters. And right. I just want to sidetrack this for a moment because one of those daughters is now in the business wrestling as Samantha Starr got a huge future. She's talented. 
How do you feel knowing that, hey, here's another generation of your family in the business? It's awesome, you know. Um, when I got out of prison, my, my, uh, my daughter had already had her first match. And, uh, but I wanted to make sure she was ready and could handle herself. So I got out of prison and everything, and uh, I made a trip to visit. And uh, I hadn't seen Michaela since she was 17, you know. It's, it was a rough trip, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, I got there, and uh, uh, she she found a ring, and we went to go work out. And, and I taught her some things. and and uh, But then, I, you know, I taught her some things she needed to know. If somebody does something that's, you know, way across the line or something like that, you end it quick. Mm -hmm. And I taught her how to do that. Uh, I made her make her uh, ex-boyfriend cry. Real tears. <laughs> I did. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I know my daughter can handle herself. And, yeah, it's a hard life. And I understand and I'm there for everything she she needs or any questions or any way I can help. Because in my life and everything that I've been through, I want to encourage people to always move forward. Right. I don't want to ever stick my finger in anybody's face and try to hold them down or push them back. I don't want to crush dreams. I want to enable them. I want to be that added little gas, that added little inspiration you get, you know? Yeah. I know so many times in my life, I, I felt like I couldn't go on, but somebody always inspired me, encouraged me, pushed me, you know? Yeah. I didn't lay down. I When it came to drinking, I drew a line of the dirt. I haven't drank in over 14 years. I was bad, dude. Ed. I drew a line of dirt, and I stepped over that line, and I said, "I ain't gonna drink no more." Yeah, you well, know, and I and, and I I haven't touched. I I could have drank in prison. Yeah, people yeah. were making pay, making stuff in prison. Yeah, you know, they don't think you can't. Oh, you he's in jail. He's safe. That's <laughs> that's no cool. right. You know, you can get whatever you want in there. Yeah. I mean, it has to come through. You got to, like, be okay with the way it's coming through. <laughs> it ain't going to be nothing nice. Yeah. No, no. That's, yeah. man, that's something. 14 years sober. It's, man, congratulations on that. That's, yeah, I mean, that, what an accomplishment. And I, it's it's always good. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit with your prison here in a little bit. But it's it's always good to hear someone go through the, you know, you, you've not hidden from what your mistakes and what you've done. And it's. It's nice to see you the way you've come well, out on the know, other side. I can't, I can't get nothing out of it if I hide from it. Correct, right? You know, and and I learned. Okay, the oh well, you want to talk about that in a minute? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Let's get to that. <laughs> well, uh, we we talked about baby doll, but and I don't, I again, I don't want to get in a dirt sling at all. But how do you respond when people say, and and, and I've heard Tony Schiavone said this publicly that you had heat in the Crockett locker room because of your relationship with baby doll. Yeah, I did. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, the, the, that was. Uh, I, I think that was in uh, uh, the nail it, nails in the coffin. I guess is what you'd say. You yeah. know. Well, baby doll, uh, baby doll said you. I mean, at this, you, what you're you're already heavy into the alcohol. I mean, I'm uh -huh. I'm sure that you know that lowers your inhibitions, lowers your your <laughs> your you know whatever. I'm I'm sure that didn't help. 
that, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the things you were saying. I, I was in a culture where you got, okay, where you, their last call they're ordering 50 kamikazes and 50 Coors Lights. And you got your boss telling you if you're going to run with the big dogs, you got to get off the porch. You know, so you feel like you got to be the last man standing. Yeah. And I, I was able to out drink everybody. I mean, I was able to function. I functioned for almost 19 years drinking three fifths of whiskey a day. Man. You know? Yeah. So I mean, you don't I had a problem, dude. Yeah, yeah. So so you don't deny you don't deny the heat. What people are saying, yeah, you you uh you were difficult to deal with at times. Is that what you're saying? I wasn't difficult. I would do any I I did anything they wanted to. Yeah. But the thing was I stood up for her. Gotcha. Okay. I, I wouldn't let the other guys treat her like an arena rat. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm well, sorry I had to use that term, but no, no, I, that's okay. So how I mean, how's your relationship with Baby Doll now? Um, I have got so much respect, and I care so much because she she's the mother of my children. Um, uh, you know, nothing but props to her. You know, yeah. and for yeah, um, uh, you know, I've accepted the blame. Uh, you know, there's not much anything else I can do. Correct. I correct. wish her the best. You know, uh, and and and. You know, uh, happy trails. Yep, there you go. Well, I, like you said, you kind of went on the outs with Crockett, and then you you, you went through Central States where you, you held the title there. You went through UWF for a bit. You you wound up around eighty seven in the WWF. Uh -huh. And uh, I got to ask you because it's always caught my the the whole dancing thing. Sam Houston dancing in the WWF was that a Vince McMahon thing? No, no. Uh, I had done it. I don't know. And the people went nuts. And then Watts liked it. And uh, uh, I, I didn't do it too much for them. Or, or, but every time I, you know, because at the club afterward, I'm always kicking up my heels. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the guy that two-stepped with Trisha Yearwood. Ron Simmons was there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, around this time, you, you had to have something on WWF TV. Right, everybody yeah. had well, they were looking for something. It was just something to put me, you know, uh make it a little bit different. I don't yep. know. But it, hey, look what it look where it got me. I got to dance right. with Mike McGurk around the ring and, <laughs> there you go. and some of the biggest I got looked at by thirty thousand people. I'm wearing a pair of speedos, cowboy boots, and I'm dancing <laughs> in two step with Mike McGurk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could could have been worse, right? <laughs> and, yeah, I'm living the life, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you you had a pretty good run in WWF, right? I mean, you were up there for a while. But what's kind of not odd, I don't want to say odd, that's not the right word, but unique, is that there was a time when you were there, Jake Roberts was there, your brother, Rocket Robin was there, your sister, the whole, you know, pretty much all you kids were there. And, uh, you know, you guys didn't grow up close or whatever else, but was there any time when you were there, did did you ever get to spend any more time around each other, grow any closer, or was it just too too fast a lifestyle? Oh, I mean, the lifestyle was fast, but we were doing it together, you know. So yeah. it was fun. We had we had a whole lot of good times on the road together. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it, I mean, yeah, it's 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 wild to think of the, the three of you being there at that you know at that same time. Um, and just, we all got along, and, and 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 you know, I helped Jake with the snake all the time. I remember yeah. in, 
in uh what was it uh, Niagara Falls I think yeah I think it was Niagara Falls <clears throat> on the New York side mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh Jake was wrestling and it was it was either Ron Bass or Nikolai Volkov. I can't remember which. I knew it was a great big guy. I wasn't really paying attention to the match. Yeah. Uh, okay, in the locker room, if it was cold and everything, uh, well, Jake wouldn't, if he could, he would put the snake in the shower. Right. And have the hot water going on for the snake. Yeah. Because if he had it in the bag... Guys would go by and kick the snake in the bag or, you know, throw the bag up in the air. Oh, they, they were brutal. Jeez. You know? Well, Jake went to go throw the snake out, and I hadn't been there long. And uh, he went to go throw it out, and when he when he put the snake on either Ron or Nikolai, the snake bit them in the leg. From, and then it come up, and it bit Jake in the armpit like the left armpit first when Jake went down for that. Then it got his, I think either his, his forearm or uh, got his forearm and then his finger. Got got him like boom, boom, boom. So he's down holding himself. The snake slithers out to the ring. Now, uh, I had already showered. I was the only guy that would go and, and take a shower if the snake was in the shower. Because whatever wall that snake was on, I'd go to the other one and yeah. be watching it, you know. Because I had a hand a little, little bit, not much, but I'd get my shower in there before all. The, and then when Jake would go to the ring, all the other guys would jump in the shower and get their shower. <laughs> so it'd be a full house during his match. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I'm all, I'm dressed in my street clothes and I'm watching this match. And uh, the snake slithers out of the ring and onto the floor. And now it's going around the ring and about, I don't know, six six feet or so is sticking up. You know, he's slithering up. So the head is like six feet in the air. And the people in the front row are reaching over the railing and high-fiving that snake <laughs> in the back of the head. Oh, His man. snake's going nuts. <laughs> so Strongbow is standing there and he goes, Dancing Sam. He said, you need to run out there and help your brother with that snake. I said, Chief, that's his snake, not mine. (laughs) He said, Dancing Sam, you need to run out there and help your brother with that snake. And I'm thinking, well, why ain't you going out there? And I said, said, Chief, that's his snake, not mine. And then he said, Dancing Sam, if you want to wake up Tomorrow morning, still employed with the WWF, you will run out there and get that snake. I was like, ah, shit, here I go. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, yeah you're fine. Yeah, I ripped my shirt off because, you know, the rule is for old-time wrestlers, when you're going to the ring, make sure you get your shirt off so the uh, security and everybody knows, you know. Yeah, right. Who, who you are. You're one of the boys. So I got my shirt in my, my hand and I'm running up. I run around the ring and I come up behind the snake and I throw my shirt on the snake's head and I jump and I take it down. I grab it right behind its head and I go all the way down to the ground with it. I, the snake's body is between my, 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 my knees. I'm on my knees. 
that snake wrapped around me and started squeezing up and, I mean, choking me out, putting me out. There was nothing I could do. Right before I passed out, or right before I was about to pass out, I knew I was going out. That cave was dark. (laughs) And then Jake got the snake off of me. Like, wow. (laughs) You almost did the job to the snake. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. Couldn't well, if you don't do it for him, you do it for the snake. You know? That's right. <laughs> One of them's getting over. Yeah. Uh, after you after you left the WWF, you did you know you went through WCW, you excuse me, USWA. But kind of your next real lengthy time to kind of stop was global. And uh-huh. uh man, global, there was a it didn't get talked about. There was a lot of good talent there, a lot of action. Uh, it, it did get a lot of attention back in the day. What was it like working in global? Global was fun. I like, but you know, <laughs> For me, at that point of my life, point in my life, everything was a party. Yeah, you know, and I, you're only when it was that my my thing was alcohol. Yeah, uh, you're just looking for that next warm feeling, fuzzy feeling going down the back of your throat. <laughs> you know, just and that's all it takes to satisfy. I don't know. Uh, the talent was good. I, I remember working with uh, Sean Waltman mm-hmm. uh, yep. down there. Uh, he was, he was, I was skinny, but he was lower than me. And, and I knew, well, nobody's ever going to give this kid nothing. You know what I mean? out here. My, my job as a champion is to go out here and, and make the other people. Yeah. So I gave him stuff. You know, it was kind of cool. I enjoyed myself. Scott Putsky. Wow. What an athlete that guy is, you know? Yeah. yeah. And a second generation as well. Yeah. You, uh, but we had a good time, I guess. Um, uh, Oh gosh! So uh, I I just got the title or something like that, and I'd never dealt with TV producers before. Yeah, and the the Booker comes, Eddie Gilbert comes up to me, and he goes, and I loved Eddie. Eddie Eddie and I had awesome matches. Um. Anyway. Uh, Eddie comes to me. He said the TV product, the producers want you to do blonde streaks in your hair. <laughs> I was like, "Oh wow, okay." You know what? What now? They're telling me how to cut my hair. I was like, "I don't, I don't know." You know, I don't know. I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that you know, I had a good time there. Yeah, uh, you you went around, did some Indies, and whatever else. Uh, traveled around the world a lot. I, I heard that you have a wild story about wrestling in New Guinea. And oh uh, yeah, I got a, a lot of wild. Well, well I, I heard there was one involving a group of wrestlers and some cannibals. Well, it was me. Oh, yeah, just okay. you. It was okay. Okay, it was me the first time, and then me and my uh, my uh, tag team partner. Well, he was he was my opponent over there. But me and him the second time, Charlie Norris. Yeah. Charlie Thunderblood Norris was, uh-huh. uh, well, first of all, I'd gotten hurt. And after the global and all that stuff, I was, I was hurt. I had some severe neck injuries. That's, uh, why I left WCW. And, uh, I didn't walk well. I was partially paralyzed. I had nerve damage, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, this doctor out in California, started working on me and he worked on me nine months doing a lot of stuff to me. You know, some, some procedures were, uh, were not approved 
here in the States, but they use them all over the place. You know, they use some of them in Canada. Yeah. So I was no stranger to it, but he got me back on my feet real good. And then the Northridge earthquake hit and I was in LA for that. And then I hurt, re-injured myself, knocking doors down, getting people out of their homes. So I was down another six months. Then I come back to WCW and, uh, uh, to visit my dad and he had complications from surgery. And I met, uh, when I got my dad out of the hospital, uh, Charlie was there and I had worked with him. I didn't remember it. I had wrestled him uh, about four or four and a half years earlier in Savannah, Georgia at his WWE tryout. And I was carrying my dad in the hospital. And here's this big six foot six, 305 pound, uh, Chippewa Indian. And, uh, he says, Sam Houston. I said, yeah. He said, you remember me? And I was like, no. He said, you whipped my ass about four years ago at my WWE trial. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh God, this big son of a gun wants to <laughs> fight. <laughs> I was like, oh, and he said, is that your dad? I said, yeah. So he, uh, he helped me. Well, he had just signed a developmental deal or a d- deal with WCW. And they were giving him problems at the power plant. So I started training him. And after about three months of training him, um, he said, you need to be back in there. And I told everybody, I said, I'm done with the wrestling business. My career is over. I've been, you know, hurt twice. You know, if something happens, you know, there's there's no guarantees. And he said, no, he said, I'm 305 pounds, six foot six. He goes, I get, we get in the ring for two or three hours. He goes, I can't do a damn thing with you. You need to be back in there. And I said, well, if I had a, uh, I'd do it in a tag situation, maybe. And he said, what about your brother? I said, well, Jake would feed me to the wolves. <laughs> so yeah, I, I said, but I want, if I get hurt, I want somebody that's going to come in there and kill everybody. And he said, I'll do it. <laughs> and that's how we got hooked up. So. Anyway, we were working in Texas, and we all went over to uh, New Guinea. So I knew something was up when we get there, and there's totem poles out the airport. Uh, uh, so we're going down these like little uh, two-lane little uh, asphalt roads and then dirt paths and, and stuff like that. And we're, we're in a radio station van. They take us up the mountain to this beautiful... Uh, like marble hotel, looked like a castle or something, and iron gates and stuff. And uh, the Australian army was all over the place. Well, we get there and there's a big party and we don't know what we're getting into. <laughs> and I'm drinking the crown roll like it's going out of style. Uh, anyway, so the next morning I have to be at the soccer uh, uh, field. Mm-hmm. They've got a big, like a fan fest thing, you know, yeah. a meet and greet. Yeah. And it was sponsored by the Spear Cigarette Company, which, was, oh, that, that was wild. <laughs> Look that up on the internet. <laughs> uh, there's the cigarettes are like, you know, like uh, black and mild cigar size, but they're rolled in the Australian daily newspaper. So they're yeah. killing the people <laughs> off with uh, lead poisoning in the ink. Um, that's a form like a genocide thing, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, go over there the next morning. 
They've got me in a small little ring. It's probably like four by four. And I'm standing in this little ring and I'm signing autographs as people walk by. And I'm looking at, I, I, I thought I was in a Tarzan movie. I really did. So, uh, <laughs> I go to take a little break. So I'm over there and I'm smoking on a dirt path outside the hotel, smoking on a dirt path. And here comes a guy walking down the street and he's wearing a loincloth like a Tarzan. He's got a great big long machete or a grass knife on his hip. He's carrying a spear. By, uh, <laughs> and he's dressed up like a little miniature Kamala. He's got a bow and arrow over his shoulders. Got a big bone through his nose, bones through his nipples, and he's walking straight up to me. And I'm expecting, something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but instead, he walks right up to me and goes, Pardon me, Mike, come up, could a bubble smoke? <laughs> I was like, Damn, you talk better English than I do. <laughs> so I gave him a cigarette, I lit it, he's walk, walking off. Then I go back over and I look back over. And here's a woman walking down the path, and she's nursing a baby on one breast and a piglet on the other. <laughs> I'm in a whole other world. world. A pig's life is worth more than a human's life over there. Anyway, so I'm signing autographs and the whole nine yards, and boom, 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 boom. I got to go pee. So I go to the the bathroom to pee, and you know I drank a lot of Crown Roll the night before I stopped and get a Coke. As I'm getting a Coke and drinking, the people pick me up, and they put me on their shoulders, and they're tossing me. I thought I was like at, at one of them uh, punk rock parties mm. or something, you know, you know, yeah, doing the body surfing or something. Yeah, but yeah. they're carrying me, and they carried me like this all the way out to the gates. I'm thinking this is a they think I'm a king, you know. I'm I'm on top of the world because I'm thinking that I'm the the life of this party. <laughs> well, but I got to the front gates. That's when the army transports and everything, a bunch of jeeps and everything. Everybody pulls up, and all these army dudes jump out and they're shooting people with rubber bullets. They've got these clubs. They're beating them back with these clubs and these Rottweilers. Man, these Rottweilers were so wide, you could have probably put a saddle on one of them and rode. Uh, they were, and they were snatching people by the head. I, I, you can't get that image of the, just the jaws clamping down on about a 115, 20-pound person and dragging it, you know? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I was like, whoa. So they get me, this major gets me, and he puts me in the transport. He goes, hey, Mike, he goes, because uh, they had told us don't go nowhere without the guards. So, well, sorry, anyway. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so he goes, hey, Mike, he goes, you ever watch Boogs Booney? <laughs> Boogs Booney? Bugs Bunny? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, you know the one with the little Ethiopian? And I said, yeah. He said, there was a big black pot in your future, mate. And I yeah. said, huh? He said, they were going to eat me. They were going to uh, boil me up, cook me up. They were going to scare the you know what out of me. Boil me up, eat me up. And then my spirit 
would live through them, the spirit of a warrior, whatever, you know. Yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, and so that night we got to wrestle. I, I, I mean, I'm already blown away. <laughs> so we got to go out there and work uh, two 40-minute single matches. We got to go at least 40 minutes in the singles matches. And then we got to have uh, at least 40 minutes in a tag match. There was only four of us, me, Action Jackson, Killer Brooks, and Charlie. Mm -hmm. So we go out there, and uh, after, the, uh, after the first match that I worked, I'm coming out of the ring, and, uh, you know, you're, you're blowed up. You're like so... And I come coming out of the ring as soon as I break the barricade, the little little bitty barricade they got. Boom! The first thing, bam! I get clocked. I'm like whoa! I was like, what the hell? And then boom! From the other side, and then boom! And I got people hitting me in the back. And I'm like, what the hell? And I take off, and I'm just bulldozing and running through everything. And I get back to the back, and I'm, I'm like, what the? You know going on out there and uh they said oh mate they're giving you they're paying honor to you they're honoring you they're honoring me <laughs> said yeah he said they see me doing it that doing that in the ring and they're showing their approval by honoring me by you know doing it to me <laughs> i'm gonna tell you something when i came out of the ring after that tag match I, I had some gas left in the tank, and I honored everybody that come <laughs> up to me. Oh, I honored them good. Oh, so, man. Anyway, uh, two days later or three days later, there was something happened. Uh, some flight didn't come in. They had to have uh, planes had to bring fresh water to the area. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why you couldn't drink. But anyway... And the planes had to come from Japan. Uh, so I, I don't get that either. Yeah. But anyway, so they were out of water. So me and Charlie are sitting there, and there's like a, a village grocery store, which is about the size of maybe like a 7-Eleven. Yeah. And that, that's their big grocery store. There's one of those about maybe a block away from the uh, hotel door. So we figured we could make it. We went over there to get a bottle of water, and we got that's all they had was one bottle of water. Well, we're, we were, you know, partners and everything, and a half gallon, we'll split it. And uh, we get to the counter, and by the time that we'd gotten in there, looked, found the water, and got to the counter, there were between three and four thousand uh, rascals, is what they called them, the, uh, the natives over there. Three and four thousand rascals out in front of that store trying to get at us. I had to call the army to come get us that day too. Man. It was wild Ooh. over there. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, oh, they got this nut that grows on a tree. It's called beetle nut. Uh -huh. And uh, what they do is they put it on a mustard leaf, and then they put the nut on there and a spoonful of lime that you put in your garden to kill snails. Uh huh. And they roll that up and they chew it. And then they spit out this red fluorescent spit. I mean, this glow-in-the-dark stuff. But, well, anyway, they do this and they, they 
uh, eat the meat of the nut, but they chew the juice out. It gives them a cocaine high, you know, huh. and then uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it gives them a cocaine high. And then, like, they live in these Gilligan's Island huts. There'll be like seven or eight huts over here, about 15 huts over here. You'll have one guy come out from one side and one guy come out from the other side with these long grass knives. And after the matches, we buy a case of beer, go up on the balcony at the hotel and watch them hack each other to death at night. Jeez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was sitting in a, we were in Port Moresby. I had, uh, uh, I had uh, Charlie in a headlock. And I've been, we've been in the ring for a little while. All of a sudden, all this big commotion, the natives knocked down, like, I don't know how long a soccer field is, but the soccer field length, uh, they knocked down rod iron fencing, that whole length of the soccer field. Okay? Mm -hmm. They knocked it down, and they overtook us, and they're running onto the wrestling event. And all of a sudden, the next thing, I go, boom, boom. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I go back to tag, I put my hand out. I'm trying to see what's going on. I, all this riot's coming this way. I'm trying to tag. And I hear, now stay in there. And I look back, and AJ's hiding behind the ring post. And he says, you're a smaller target. They're shooting. Jeez. And the Army was shooting, you know. So I was like, well, hell with this, man. I'd let the headlock go, and I dove underneath the ring. Yeah. So I'm sitting up underneath the ring for a minute. And finally, I got—I think it was AJ or Charlie. One, they looked underneath. They, what are you doing? I said, "It's a lot safer under here." <laughs> and we all sat underneath there until they got everything. You know, yeah. oh, it was wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we... I came back, uh, came back home, and uh, told my dad. I said, "Thanks, Dad, but you're not booking us on any more <laughs> overseas tours." Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, we mentioned it earlier, and in 2005, you you were sentenced to prison uh, for for DUI offenses. You've uh, you spoke you've spoke a lot about this and how you know it. it since then, you've been sober. And, but tell us, you have a, a a story about being in prison and thinking about oh, this. This is it. I don't want to go any further. And then um, and and and, and things not working out the way you thought. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yeah that in prison. Okay, well, okay, well, it's so like I was dealing with a lot of stuff. I was a bad alcoholic. I just come through rehab, you know, a lot of stuff. And no matter how you shuffled the deck, the cards weren't coming in right, mm -hmm. you know. And so much stuff was going on in my life. Well, um, I had made an improper lane change. Uh, they smelled alcohol, but evidently I, there was something about probable cause. So they only charged me with the improper lane change. Um, and, and, you know, I, I left. Um, so I checked myself into center court, or they, they, they gave me the ticket for improper lane change. I knew I had a problem, so I changed, checked myself into center court. It's a two-year-long uh, uh, rehab, mm -hmm. you know, because I knew a short-term thing could wasn't going to work for me. I'd been through like 11 or 12 
uh, 28-day programs, you know, a couple of year-long outpatient things, but nothing worked. So I checked myself into Cinecore, and uh, I was there three months to the day. And I had to go to court to, to pay the ticket for the improper lane change. They threw the improper lane change out and then hit me with a fourth offense DWI. And I told the district attorney, I said, I've never had a third offense DWI. And he said to me, he goes, if we have to redo the paperwork, he goes, I'm going to hit you with DWI, third offense. He goes, and then I'm going to hit you with the Habitual Offender Act. He goes, and you'll spend the rest of your life in prison. He said, or, he said, you sign off on this fourth offense. He said, if you sign off, we'll give you the minimum, which is 10 years. You'll do roughly around five, uh, and then five on parole. He said, or, uh, if you go to fight it, we're going to give you 30 years flat. You know, and I was blown away. Uh, so they handcuffed me and they took me to, to the Baton Rouge jail. And, uh, uh, excuse me, they, uh, because I was a wrestler, they viewed me as a security threat. So they put me on murderer's row. Uh, I think, I can't remember the, I think it was L wing or whatever. It was horrible. Uh, it was a wing with uh, 40 or for four, 40 of the worst pieces of shit probably ever, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. Monsters. So they they throw me in there, and this one old black man comes up to me. He goes, my name is Matthews. I killed three white women. What'd you do? And I looked him dead in the eye, and I told him improper lane change. Oh, man. Everybody backed off. <laughs> I'm a big guy, and I, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um. But I had a lot to think about on that wing. Now, uh, you, were, you were in two-man cells. And uh, there was 20 cells down that hallway, one shower, uh, one toilet. No, every, every cell had the little toilet, the little silver thing. But the, yeah. there was only the one shower stall. <clears throat> and I'm talking screaming, hollering noise. All night long. I mean, all day long. All night. yeah, and you know, vile crap. And just, you know, just uh, stuff you don't want to. You know, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, and they're you know they're telling me I've got to live ten years of this or thirty years of this. Or, you know, my best way out is five years. And I was like, I I don't I I don't, I wasn't strong enough to do that, man. So the guy that was my celly at first, he uh, killed a couple of people and then poured gas on one guy and lit him on fire. 
But that guy survived and the DA got his deposition on film. So whenever Marcelli's family tried to strong arm that guy and the guy tried to take his testimony back, they DA had it on film. So they were able to go ahead and nail this guy. Anyway, that's one of one of my huh. uh he do he he had a way of fixing the gate the the door. He'd put something in the door so when they would automatically close, it wouldn't latch. And then he would open the cell door down and sneak down and go talk to his buddy all night long, <laughs> which was cool with me. Well, I'm sitting there, and I can't do this, man. Uh, so I took my bed sheet, and uh, and uh, he had a, uh, a razor blade, and I slit that bed sheet. And I braided it together, and uh, I couldn't live like this. I'd made my decision. I run the sheets through the bars. My rack was on top, so I got up there. I got crouched down on the top rack, and I made two nooses, and I put them over my head. And I said, God, only you can stop this now. And I figured the way that I, you know, I, I worked as a rigger or a scaffold supervisor and everything offshore. Mm-hmm. So I know how to tie knots and I know how to do stuff. So I wrapped the, the, the sheet around the bars <clears throat> and I figured with my weight and everything, what should break my neck and uh, put both nooses around my neck and said, God, only you can stop this now. And I took a deep breath and I jumped. And when I jumped, what, when I hit the ground, my feet, that's only like maybe five and a half feet up my rack from the floor. Yeah. I hit the ground so hard that the soles of my feet were bruised for weeks. Hmm. Both nooses broke. They didn't tear. They broke. I, 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 the, the, it was, I dropped to my knees. I was on my knees on that bottom rack. And I said, God, I'll never try to hurt myself again. Hmm. You know, five days later, I I did a lot of talking to God that night about doing whatever I could to make myself a better person. You know, it was evident to me they didn't want me in society anymore. Uh, You know, I wasn't real bad, but I just, you know, I don't know, into a lot of mischief. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Society didn't want me anymore, so I had to do whatever I could do to work on myself and be the person I needed to be, what I'm expected to be. You know, um, I don't choose to be a leader or anything like that. I walk my own way. You know, people like what what they see in me. I'd be more than happy to share it. Yeah. You know, um, every day of my life is a blessing. Now, so every day in prison or whatever day I got was a blessing. Even though I was in some of the worst places, you could always, oh, they, I still gave thanks because mm-hmm. I wasn't gone. Right. You know, and and he had other he's had other purposes and in, in, in places for me to be and things for me to do. I know that he's put me in situations that I had to be there. Uh to save somebody or to, to 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 help somebody, May the nineteenth down in in in, in uh, two thousand nineteen, they locked me back up 
uh, for probation or parole violation. Kept me locked up in a meet for 11 months. You know, I didn't have a bad attitude. Uh, uh, this fellow that was on this TV show, uh, Louisiana Flip and Move, he was a uh, uh, carpenter, a, a contractor, I'm sorry. He got uh, three guys jumped on him. Oh, there was like four involved all, all in all. But uh, jumped on him. By the time I got there, they'd already stabbed him, fractured his skull, uh, broke his nose, his eye sockets, his uh, cheekbones, and stabbed him, I said. And uh, they, they were trying to kill him by the time I got there. His buddies took off and left him. I got in there and got him out of there. Uh, and when he came out of his coma, he asked how I was doing. And they were saying, why, were you, why are you worried about him? He said, because he saved my life. He got in there and got, it, got me. And, and they came to my cell to try to finish him off four times, and they didn't do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that being there, well, they came and got me out of that cell right then, and they looked at my stuff, and they said, oh, well, we're going to put you as a trustee and put you over the hospital helping people. And the hospital was glad. I was glad because it was a blessing in disguise. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in my life, you know. Um, but yeah, but everything I do, I, I do to try to make myself, I don't know, a better person. Uh, I try to do the right things. I give everything a lot more thought. Prison was hard, but I, it was a blessing. Prison saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that's that's the intent, right? That's what it's supposed to be. And I mean, it's good to see if you came out better on the other side. I mean, that's well, the, yeah, but the thing you have to do is accept. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yep. If you're in denial the whole time about it, Oh, well, they did this to me. And that's yeah. what happened. That's 99.9% .9 of the guys that, you know, cause they don't want to stand up and be accountable. Correct. Right. I wanted to be held accountable or no, I didn't want, <laughs> I'd really chose rather chose not to, you know, <laughs> But I went through hell. Um, I came out the other side, though, a better man. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, you, uh, you, along with your brother and sisters, uh, you participated in the episode of the Dark Side of the Ring about your father and family. Uh huh. Uh, when you saw that episode after it was done, and you you watched it, what what did you think about the finished product? Well, that's just I don't know. Um, I mean, do you do you feel like it? It was a fair representation. I mean, do you feel like, you know, that, that what you saw was. See, okay. I, you're, oh, gosh. Um, I'm the, I, I'm the guy that wasn't, um, okay. I was, I was not sexually abused or, or, or I don't think physically Abused, I mean, um, or, or so I can't speak on that, right? You know, okay. um, I mean, I know what my dad was to me, uh, but right. uh, I mean, oh gosh, uh, I saw you know, I saw him in both lights, I didn't find out about the hidden stuff until I didn't start finding out on that. I think I was what, almost 30. Yeah. You know, and I, and I never denied anything. I've, I don't think I've ever said, no, that didn't, I've never 
say anything like that, but I never knew the extent of anything. I didn't know the extent of uh, of some of my sister's stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know the full extent of all of it, probably, but I, I didn't know a, a lot of some stuff in, until 2017. Right. You know? Yeah, and I mean, that's a difficult situation to be in, right? If you don't, if you had an experience and you didn't see that side personally, it's got to be difficult. Because a lot of people, when they hear that, they would just be like, there's no way, right? Well, you, after you didn't seem to... with, uh, with, that my brother Richard and they talk about on the dark side of the ring, the, the trip down to New Orleans and Robin. Okay, mm-hmm. I was in Lubbock visiting my kids. Mm-hmm. I got a phone call that I needed to fly Richard and Paula. So I meet them at the airport. We all fly down to Mississippi. I'm a drunk. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And I I wasn't involved in the conversations, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, (laughs) um, but I do remember telling my dad after that, I, I knew there had to be something going on about touching or or, or something. Right. So I do. I, I did tell my dad that night in Biloxi. Uh, I came back from the the riverboat casino because if you play, they give you free booze. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Just being real. <laughs> You're right. You know. I can sit there and enjoy a slot machine on a dollar for a long time. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, you know, when you're that way, when it's that way, it's that way. Come on. Yep. Yep. True. True. <laughs> you know, when, when I talk, I, I want to be able to help people and I can't help people if I ain't real. Yeah. You know? Right. But anyway, uh, I told my dad I have to come back and, and I, he, he's sitting there trying to justify. Now, justify things. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm really kind of not involved or kind of, uh, you know, I'm, you're not, nobody's letting me in to tell me what's going on. You don't want to tell me what's going on, but you're hinting at things. Yeah. You know, and um, I just let my father know that if he, if he or any other person ever touched my daughters that I would kill them. Yeah. You know, I, I, and that's how I felt about my kid. You know, mm-hmm. I love my, my daughters with everything. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> they're the greatest blessings in the world to me. And yeah. I always have to give, give that Nicola. Nicola did a wonderful job raising those girls. Yeah. You know, I didn't get to see them for 13 years, but I couldn't understand that the thing that, that took my pain away from not having them was causing me not to have them. I couldn't figure that out because yep. I was such a wet noodle in the head. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, now that, you know, this has all been talked about a lot, whatever else, and, and you and Jake and Robin, you're all sober. You're all seemingly in good places. Robin's sober now? Well, I, I don't know. I I assume. Oh. I don't know. Oh, well, if, if she is, that's news. But, okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm assuming. I don't know. I mean, I, I just assumed that. Uh, oh, I hope she is. That she was. Well, she, I mean, uh, she never recognized herself as having a problem anyway. And I don't think anybody else does either. Yeah. Um. She, But, 
you know, Robin's always like been a, a social drinker and, you know, so she'll have a real good timer, I guess. Yeah. So, well, maybe, maybe you're answering my question. Do you, do you ever think there's a chance of you three building a relationship, getting closer, or do you just think at this point in your lives, that ship has sailed some? Oh no, I, I, I love to, I, I like to sit down with anybody, have fun with everybody. Yeah. You know, my door is always open. And I'm trying to do some things that will be helpful for the guys too. Hey, dude, I I, I got this. Maybe something. Okay, you know, uh, Black Bart. I do. Right? Yeah. You know, we had a lot of memorable matches, bull rope matches, Texas yeah. death matches. Probably, probably the wrestler you're most tied with is is you uh, and Black Bart. I said I would think you and Black Bart. I mean, that's the wrestler you're most tied with in your career is you and well, Black Bart. I don't know. There's like Danny Davis. I was tied with. Well, you know, that's true. That's true in your WWE effort. Yeah, but. I always, yeah. I always think about you and Bart in the in the Mid Atlantic days. Okay, oh, see, those were the great days. Uh-huh. You know, and I was part of it. I mean, we were. Oh, anyway, Bart's Bart's going through some things now, right? Medically, yeah, he is. His book just came out, yep. uh, and I want to encourage everybody to to reach out there because he, boy, I didn't believe he really talked good about you know me in here because I mean we did. We did something in Baltimore and in Philadelphia that we talked about for years. It's been they've been it's been being talked about over thirty years now. It's going to be talked about for years to come too. Uh, we just tore it all up that night, and left it. But anyway, uh, he's going through cancer, some some right. cancer issues, some real rough stuff. Yeah. Uh, and financially, you know, the wrestling business is not kind or, you know, it might be kind today, but it was not kind in our day. Yeah, right. Uh, and um, so I was sitting there and I, Bart was, we were at the WrestleCon or something in uh, Dallas and I had a table there set up. So uh, I asked if he'd like to come up and, you know, cause they say you can let, you know, somebody sit with your, at your table mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, you're allowed two stars yeah. per table. Uh, so I figured, well, I, you know, I, I got a table. I can have somebody, you know, help somebody out, help somebody else out. So uh called Bart up and, and he come on down. We sat and visited for a little while and he'd come and he sold some pictures and stuff. We had a blast. Mm -hmm. Talked about some problems he was going through, his health issues and stuff. Oh, and this hurt me more than anything else is uh he had uh he had a pair of boots, a pair of those uh double eagle uh Austin Hall cowboy boots mm -hmm. that Dusty had given him. Right, yeah. You know, and and a collector wanted to buy them, and he sold them. I don't think Bart got nowhere near after looking at, you know, my boots. There's a, somebody on eBay selling a pair of my boots for for ten grand or twelve grand. Jeez, on eBay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, Bart sold those boots, and it just boy, it really hurt me that that he had to sell that. Well, now he's going through some issues with the chemotherapy, and you know, cancer treatment's not cheap. Right, right. So I'm, I'm, I got some bells and some ropes and uh, uh, some other stuff, and and I got Black Bart to make these little small Texas bull ropes. Mm -hmm. And then um, I've signed one side; he signed the other side of the bell, 
and it comes in a potato sack <laughs> with his picture on one side of the sack and mine on the other. Uh, 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 gosh, it's uh, silk screened on the on the mm. potato sack. Yeah. That's a little tongue in cheek. If everybody knows in wrestling, a potato, a potato's a sniff shot. Right, correct. Yeah. So you get a Texas bull rope, a potato with a potato shot, a signed autograph picture of uh, one of mine and Mark's bloodier battles, uh, and a couple other things. And there's, I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to sign this many bells. I, I, we started off. I signed. Uh, we started off. I, I was going to make thirty bells. So Mark kept one, I kept one, and I've got 28 bells, or no, I only got 22 bell, uh, bells for sale, cowbells for sale now, uh, and they're $1,000, and all the money goes to pay for Bart's cancer uh, treatments. So if you yes. got some collectors out there, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're getting ready to put these up on eBay and stuff. Um, but I figure, uh, you know, I just want, I want to do what I can to help my brother yep, and absolutely. a whole lot of wrestling fans that can help and would help Well, I'm giving you the opportunity to. Yeah. And, uh, and Bart also has a, he has a GoFundMe, which I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And like you I said, sure, I sure would appreciate that. Yep, you know, yep. uh, Bart and me, <laughs> With enemies, with friends, all, all kind of stuff. Even when he was my tag team partner, I'd still hit him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just got a just got a copy of his book that Vincent Barry, the guy he did the book with, sent me. Uh, he gave, sent me a copy, and I, I just spoke with Bart on on Facebook just so he when he's uh through through with his his treatments and feeling you know get some of his strength back, he's going to come on and talk to me um, too. So uh, yeah, and I, so how can I know you've got a Facebook page? Uh, for you that uh you know like a fan type page is that would that be the best way for people to well we've got the sam houston page uh there then there's my my page is michael sam houston but uh, -huh. uh i'm under so many restrictions for my political you know uh -huh. views. i think this country's going in the wrong way i think we need to draw a line in the dirt stop all this crap get you know put our thinking caps on uh and start doing stuff the right way again. Yeah. So is is the is the Sam Houston page? Is that the best way for people to be able to see when you put the bells up on eBay? Oh yeah, something? yeah. That's gonna okay. be the best way because my page, I, you know, I get opinionated a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll put I'll put a link to the Sam Houston page also in the show notes so people can go and follow that so that they know when those are when those are available and anything else you do. I'm sure if you make any appearances or anything, I'm sure it's all there on that page so people can follow. Oh yeah, them. yeah. Everything like there. that's gonna be there. And then, uh, but. Uh, you know, we're trying to do what we can to help encourage and be there for folks. You know, absolutely, yeah. So if you got a got a, every little bit helps. So if you got a few bucks, go out to the GoFundMe, uh, donate a little bit there, watch for those bills, uh, help Bart out. Uh, Bart's an underappreciated talent. People don't talk enough about Black Bart and how good he was. Do you and, know? Uh, I mean, uh, okay. Hey, do you watch that show Yellowstone? I have. Yeah, I watched some of it. Yeah. Okay, you know Rip on yep. Yellowstone. Yep. Black Bart was his hero growing up. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so there you go. I mean, Sam, obviously, man, you're a positive story. A guy that, you know, battled through 
your, you know, your things, your choices, whatever else came out better on the other side. And now is doing a lot of positive in the world. Uh, and just for you to come on here and talk about all this and want to end it by talking about helping Bart, man, that's, that's a great thing. Well, yeah. well I want to tell by helping Bart, but I want to tell, you know, tell you something because I want to help all your listeners too. You know, um, I can't give you every, you know, everything I have, I wished I could, you know, I can't give you my blessing, uh, my blessings, I guess, or, mm -hmm. or, or what, what, what is mine, but I can offer you a chance to have what I have, you know, and that's peace of heart. And that's a relationship with the creator. Mm -hmm. Um, I encourage each and every one of you to read, go into prayer and follow the Messiah. Um, a lot of people, uh, the, they say the English translation is Jesus Christ. Um, I, I went through prison and everything else, man. I wanted to have a closer relationship with my God. So I've learned and I've studied. I, I've gone far past the King James Version of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and the, the Messiah's name here on earth, the name higher, uh, most, most higher than any other name is Yeshua Hamashiach is how you say it. So I follow the Messiah, but I follow the son. Um, uh, and I encourage each and every one of you to be saved and join us in heaven. Yeah. Well, Sam, thank you for your time. Like I said, I'll put up a link in the show notes to uh, Bart's GoFundMe, to your Facebook page, so people can really just click that and easily get there to, to follow you, to help him. Uh, but I appreciate your time. It was good. It was fun talking to you about your career. Maybe maybe we'll revisit, talk a little more. Well, yeah, I want to, I, I wanna, like, you know, do another one of these pretty sure. quick. Because I want to tell you some stories. I mean, okay, I beat Moose Cholock. I don't know. He wore this ah. great big moose head to the ring, you know? Well, I, 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 grew up, I grew up in Indiana, so, I, I man, I, I love Moose Cholock. <laughs> okay, when he climbed up on the top rope to get in the ring, uh -huh. I hit the ropes because Nelson Royal told me to always make sure the, you know, your your equipment is good. You know, <laughs> make sure nothing's sticking out of the turnbuckle. The ropes are tight. Yeah. No weak spots in the floor. So I'm checking the ring up. He climbs up to the top rope to jump in the ring. I hit the the ropes. He fell off backwards, knocked himself out. I got the ten count and the victory. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a strategy there. It's <laughs> I killed Bullwinkle Moose. I thought, man. I, oh, anyway. Moose. Hey, Dave. Uh, thank you so much yeah. for having me. I definitely want to do this again. We will. We will. Like I said, we've kind of did an overview today. So next time, we'll we'll really dive in and get okay. into some, some deep stories. Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. All right, welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. Thank you to Sam Houston for coming on and talking to me. What a what a fun interview that was, man. Sam's a good guy, uh, fun to talk to, and uh, like I said, uh, the intention is for us to uh, do this again in the in the future, so that uh, we can really dive a little deeper into some stories and stuff. I, I wanted to give kind of an overview of his career, 
you know, kind of hit the highlights with today uh, because I think Sam's a, kind of a guy that gets overlooked a lot in, in history. He's, he was a great worker. Uh, as he mentioned, you know, he was a skinny dude, which, you know, maybe, you know, kind of worked against him in the 80s, obviously. But uh, but a great worker. And, uh, you know, Jim Cornette's called him out of, you know, the family there, called him the best worker of the bunch, just had the, the size working against him. So I just wanted to do kind of a career overview and hit some of the highlights. But Sam, he had some great stories to tell there, uh, but he's got a lot more. So we'll probably have him back on in the future and touch those uh, on those other stories. Excuse me. Yeah, I fumbled on my words. Uh, like once again, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you listen. Follow us on the social medias. Buy a shirt. Do all those things. And hey, guys, I know, man, it, online, especially in social media, fandoms can be very, very toxic, right? And, and very divisive. And, and people like that for some reason. Not me. Just remember, man, don't get sucked into that stuff. Uh, just remember what I always say. Uh, just support the things you like. Forget and ignore the things you don't. Let's try to have some positive influence into the professional wrestling fandom and community. And, and man, let's just, let's each of us be a little better. Let's write, let's be better people than that. Uh, so, it again, we'll come back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening. I am Dave Dynasty. This is Wrestling Nostalgia. And in two weeks, we'll have a new episode. But until then, wherever you go, whatever you do, be good, be safe, and always keep on growing.